let that play a minute. Hello. I love when Cash is producing. I know, all the good music. Oh my God. You cannot hear this song and not be in and a good like mood. start wiggling a little? You can't not. We're just going to give you some radio time in which we dance and you listen to music. <laughs> this is what we're going to do. Hello, it's Amy Guth and Doma Pongo in for WG Nightside tonight. It's good to be in the studio with you, finally, officially. We've, we've talked for spurts of 30 seconds. I know. But, never... but you're always over there in the newsroom. Yes. Doing your thing. Yes, and uh, back in the day, I was on uh, six floors away from you, but now I'm down the hall. <laughs> That's right. Talking to you on air in 30 seconds. And now spurt. we're in the same room. Now we're in the you same like, room. Make eye contact there without we go. a monitor involved. Yes, right? yes. Great. This is a wonderful thing. Well, how are you? How's it going? What's new? Um, today was Murphy's Law kind of day. Yeah. Uh, not only for myself, but our producer Cash. I, <laughs> I get here thinking I'm going to be the last one here, and both of you guys are having. Oh we got my some God. car trouble. We got some traffic on Lakeshore. It's all been, the a day. It's been, it's a, been a day. It has been a day. It's been a day. Well, there's only an hour left of this day, and yeah. I think we're ending it in on a really good note. On yeah. a very high note. That's so right. This is awesome. Yeah. Uh, not on such a high note. It's what's going on uh, over on the East Coast. This hurricane happening right now. Yeah, we're keeping an eye on on the East Coast as Hurricane Florence is making landfall. Uh, probably in the morning is when it's making landfall, but still, all those those winds and the rain and all that's starting to come in, and and that's really the the tough part is when you when that wind kicks up, when water starts coming in, then you have storm surge. It's something like that. The hurricane making landfall fall is usually not the hard part it's usually all the things around it right before and right after that yeah the, the stuff that comes with it and I, I heard meteorologists talking about it's slowing but they that isn't the issue it's really the rainfall and the devastation that it caused with all that all that flooding that happens and i hate to start the show on a somber note but you have kind real. of a yeah and you and you have a somewhat of an unfortunate anniversary <laughs> well that, you know that we can commemorate I was, today i was reflecting on this that it was a year ago tonight pretty much that i called patty vasquez i was down there because this time last year we were dealing with hurricane irma and hurricane maria was making its way into puerto rico mm. so i was down there that's like a volunteer thing that i do totally unrelated to journalism um i i went down there i got deployed to go down there and and i did a lot of things i did a little bit of uh, supply and medical transport i did some feeding people and some working out of a tent in a field and things like that that's not um wow. I don't know it's it's interesting it certainly like puts you face to face with a lot of human stuff that you know makes a lot of other things seem really kind of really in, minute yeah like yeah. just kind of inconsequential um so yeah I was thinking that I was like I, I don't I don't want to really make it about reporting from there i'm not in right. reporter mode but i i was like i'll talk to patty and just kind of give her a, a look at what's going on because at that point hurricane irma had already made landfall in florida mm. and done a lot of devastations because there was a lot of water still mm. um so i was like in a parking lot on my phone i was like i hope that i get a signal um but talking to her about kind of the economic recovery what that looks like after a hurricane um and and how a, how a, a community recovers after something like that because some of it is you know really long term it's you know we move on and think okay that they, they've cleaned up the water's gone but there's a huge financial loss to people even just like if the power's out for a day think about all the stuff in your refrigerator hmm. you know what i mean yeah it's, it's, yeah it costs a lot of money to replace everything in your fridge and freezer and i was thinking about the mandatory evacuations and i'm wondering where do you go like you know ev yeah. even I'm, I'm not uh rich by any stretch of the imagination but uh, you know i'm not a poor person and even i can't think of where I would go if I had to evacuate Chicago. Who, 
where do you how long do you stay at a hotel how do you account for how much funding that costs to do that what about people who don't have family members in other areas what about homeless people in some of these places where can they be housed was that some of the things yeah. that you were you, you're helping yeah a lot of that came up so there was we were setting up shelters down there um and that's you know that's an issue and, and the hardest part of the shelter is is not necessarily keeping people like you want to try to keep the mood not positive but but at least constructive and right. forward moving in there and, and supportive of people just kind of what do you need right now? Because sometimes it's like, I just need a minute and a water. Or yeah. it's like, can you keep an eye on my kid for a minute so I can fill out these FEMA forms mm. without her, you know, playing around? It's everybody needs something different. People that don't have people that are experiencing homelessness that go to a shelter during that time, mm. eventually that shelter's gonna close. And at that point you're like, well, when someone doesn't have anywhere to go, that's I think that's the most that's difficult part when you have to kind of bring back, roll back those resources because a lot of organizations are really just there for the immediate recovery, you know, for the for just the couple weeks after to get people moving forward, get get tarps on roofs, mm. make sure if you don't have power, you know, let's replace some of the food. Here's what we've got. Right. We can bring you a hot meal. We can, you know, things like that. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff to replace, even something like I remember a woman like flagged me down in the middle of the street. She waited out in this water and she was like, do you have a clean diaper? I just need to put a diaper on my kid. And oh, I was like, I got a box of them. And I gave her, you know, yeah. diapers and toilet paper and paper towels and some Windex and some bleach. And she was like, oh, this is perfect. This is what I need. So sometimes just like little things like that that people need to just kind of start moving forward. And then it's also really, you know, hurricanes don't don't happen like in Antarctica. They happen in very warm places, right? Mm, so right, it's also, exactly. it's hot. People are... It's just uncomfortable. It's a lot, yeah. And if you don't have power, you're, you know, people are like camping out in the driveway and things like that. But you also see like really unbelievable acts of humanity during that time, mm. you know, where people are like, you know what? I'm okay, but but can you check on my neighbor? You know, she's old and I don't know if she has what it she reminds needs. me of Katrina. I remember there yeah. were people who just got on boats and say we're going to go around and see if we can save anybody go house to house and find out who we yeah. can save good Samaritans just out there but kudos to you shout out to Amy for, for doing that and uh, our prayers go out to everyone in the Carolinas and in Virginia who uh, who's experiencing this right now shout out to this poor reporter who's standing in the middle of the rain is this really necessary <laughs> no poor guy <laughs> does he have to stand in the eye of the hurricane to report like we believe it's raining you don't have to be there I know the people on the weather channel and all the reporters <laughs> covering hurricanes and natural disasters especially like they're in these you know raincoats with the hood pulled up around their faces and they're just like as you can hanging see. on to a stop sign like as you can see the wind is really picked up but then you see people like jim cantori who is clearly like skilling put on this earth to talk about weather right you right, can right. see his knowledge and passion on display at in weather events like that that guy will stand there in like waist high water uh, maybe doesn't chest. flinch he doesn't care he's like the there's stop signs flying at him and license there's a car rolling it's like by. the matrix is moving and, and reporting at the same time bob and weave and he's just kind of keeps going doing his thing yeah so you know kudos to you it's funny though this is another anniversary i remember the day that you flew out to deal with this because just before you were heading out for your flight i had to interview you for a new series that's right that judy pilak was working on and, judy right, and i was, was like i gotta go she's like i gotta go i only have five minutes and proceeded to give me a fabulous 20 minute interview 
for, for a new segment that Judy was doing and uh, the way you were able to take this hat off, put this hat on before you jumped on the flight and save some lives. I said, I didn't save any lives. I just fed bellies. That's all. <laughs> that's a life saving act. If you ask me. Well, we say, you know, somebody uh, was described. I heard somebody, someone I know was, was describing, um, he was talking about how the world gets saved, right? He's mm. like, we, it's not about like a superhero act. He's like, it's, it's people doing what's right in front of me right now, doing these acts. I need to feed these people, do this thing. And side by side, if we are all doing that, eventually it grows. And that's where we make impact. That's why I'm really excited about the guests we've got coming up. Cop to Yoga, uh, Tiffany Seibert has this. We're going to talk to her later on in the show. Uh, but she has this program where she teaches cops how to do yoga before they head out and do some of the most dangerous things that you could ever think of. Uh, we can't say it enough. One of the most difficult jobs, most difficult jobs on the planet. And uh, she's helping them stop, relax, breathe, calm and center themselves before they go out there and uh, get to it. And those types of things, those incremental things make a larger difference than I'm sure she even she might not even be aware of. Right. So right. I'm excited to talk to her about that. Yeah. And then after that, we're going to talk to some folks from the Social Change Film Fest that's coming up. Yes. It's going to be really cool. So it's all about like world improvement tonight on the show. Absolutely. I think we got to take a break. Yeah, we do. I mean, at this hour, I mean, we don't have to do breaks or a suggestion. I mean, kinda. Yeah, I we got. I want to get yelled at. You know. Yeah, <laughs> we, don't, we don't want. We don't want Cash don't to get, get yelled at. at. We're yeah. gonna take. They're a gonna break. see my Instagram story and see that I was dealing with a car. You know, they're gonna be like, "What were you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> I was everywhere. You'd be one like, time. you know what? Amy and Domati would not go to break. They're the worst. Just put it all on us. I told them like five times and they were just like, no, we're not taking any breaks at all. Yeah. You take a break. Yeah, you take a break. Whoa there. See, now we're getting very offensive. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, esteemed producer Cash, I want to talk about some stuff you've been doing because you have been tearing it up and doing some very cool things and I want to talk about that. Thank you. Amy Guth and Doma T. Pongo here on WGN Nightside back in just a bit on 720 WGN. And mother always told me be careful who you love be careful what you do the lie become the truth Again, I just want to let the music play. Right. Because when Cash is producing, you know the music's gonna be so good. I try to. This and anytime like, Michael Jackson is involved, you like, so this makes so sound by Mark Ronson. It's called Diamonds Are Invisible. It's like one of the first ever DJs to be put on iTunes, which is just so like amazing to me. I want to be on that level. So I just really, I heavily look up to this mix right here that you are hearing. This is a cool mix. This mix made an appearance in a yoga class I was in See? about a week ago. It's that good. She was like, we're going to do some core and we're going to work. And I was like, man. And then I heard it. I was like, wait a minute. We're doing this. Okay. Uh, wait, this is mix. weird to me. They got, have you heard of trap yoga? Yeah, they've got trap yoga, and I think yoga, I think calm, I think mm-hmm. like white noise and ocean sounds. Not anymore. how do you no. have breathing to like trap music and like Michael Jackson? Like, does that work? It does. Yeah, you'd go through it once slowly, and then you do it in flow, and it's just like one breath to one movement, and it's actually very beautiful to see a room of people doing that nice. to, to some fast music. That's really cool. Have you ever DJed a yoga? 
I have not. <laughs> you haven't yet, I, but I got yeah, to discuss some things with you because we're going <laughs> to oh, work okay. that out. Yes, we're let's gonna, do that. I have this vision. We're going to make an event. It is going to be great. Okay. okay. But let's first, let us talk about you because you're... Okay, you are an extremely humble person, and you say things like, I sort of DJ, I would, I would like to be like this DJ, and then meanwhile, I look at your, you know, your your Instagram and your social media, other accounts, and you're like, yeah, I'm in London, I'm, I'm going DJing. to London, doing this, sponsored, and da, da, da. like, you're kind of, you're literally an international sensation. Please, wow. Please that is tell no us exaggeration. about this. Whoa. People were voting for you to be included in the North Coast Festival. Yeah. Myself included. Yes, thank me you. Too. I voted like three times. Thank I know, that too. was a laugh. I appreciate it. I know, it. I was like thank tweeting, you. I was like, I'm just saying, this person is my friend and you should vote. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Thank yeah. you so much. And you won. I did win. I won the voting round. I won the live competition and I performed at North Coast Sunday. How was that? It was it was nerve-wracking and I it was only nerve-wracking because the thing with the competition was they had one DJ win and then two live acts also won. But the live acts were supposed to perform um Saturday. Okay. And they got rained out. Because of the rain hitting so heavily that morning, they got canceled, like completely oh, cut. Oh, and you're like, what a shame. Right. But <laughs> I felt bad. And I was like, you know what, guys? Like, I have a 45-minute set. Come perform during my set. But we were all kind of worried, like, is it going to rain again? Yeah. Am I also going to get cut? And I didn't. I woke up that morning on Sunday, and it was beautiful. It was hot. It was sunny. Yeah. And my production manager was, or my stage manager, I'm sorry, was actually DJ Snake's production manager. And he just happened to pick up the shift because DJ Snake got cut the night before. And I mean, working with him was a dream because he made sure he was on his P's and Q's and he treated me as if I was DJ Snake. Mm. And I'm like, all right, buddy, calm down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> slow your roll there. But it was a beautiful experience. I can't wait until the festivals come back next summer. The goal ultimately is to perform on a main stage at Lollapalooza. I feel like that's the only like summer festival in Chicago that I miss because I was at Mamby. Mm -hmm. I was at Pitchfork, and I was at North Coast. But let's be clear. I feel like you might have missed it because you had to work that night. Like, you didn't miss it because you didn't miss get the opportunity. What? Miss Lollapalooza this oh. year. Like, I, that's well right, within reach. because you were working. Because you've worked. Like, right. she's, yeah, she's DJed so. some of everywhere. It. Like, yeah, yeah every, every time I look at a flyer, it's like DJ Cash Sharon. I know. And I'm, it, you know, I'm, just, I'm just proud of it. How, do you, you still get nervous after having been as seasoned as you are? I get nervous... Not as often, but there are certain gigs where I still get nervous. So, like, even tonight, before I came here, um, I DJed Jose Oliveira's book release party. And I was somewhat nervous because um, it was at the National Museum of Mexican Art. So, it was just the nerves of, like, well, what do I play? Because I know Jose and I work with him, and I'm like, okay, well, this dude loves Ja Rule and Ashanti. But, <laughs> yeah, that's what you got to play then. <laughs> right. But it's also like, you know, I wanted to also match the theme of the book because the name yeah. of the book is Citizen Illegal. Right. So I wanted to make sure that I incorporated like some of his heritage in the music that I played. And I mean, some of the mixes that I did, I thought they were great because I was dancing on stage and okay. other people were also <laughs> reacting very well. Um, but yeah, my nerves still kick in. But like North Coast, I was nervous like no other. I think my nerves really kick in now when it's my first time performing for a new audience. Because so many of my gigs are just like reoccurring audiences or it's like the same venue. So with right. that, I don't get as nervous. But when it's like a big event, it's people that I don't know, then I then the nerves kick in very heavily. Yeah. 
I think that's going to start happening more and more to you, though, because you're going to have people that follow you to venues, right? Mm-hmm. That know you, yeah. It'll the crowds will get bigger, but you'll be like, okay, that person, I know that person, right? You right. know, which is beautiful, and it's still weird to me because it's like, oh, like you like what I do, like <laughs> you listened to what of I did last do. time. It, it, it's I humility. Look at she's blushing. Well, no. <laughs> Know, dimples coming you're, out. You're, you're like, like whole, your whole body just curled in. Like, oh Man, my gosh! I'm sorry. Because I'm so, I'm so super humble, and I know it's like I just get up and do the work, and then I just mingle, and then I leave, and that's it. But now that people are following me more avidly on social media, and they're starting to get more verbal, like they'll tell me, like, "Hey, this is DJ's trash. Where are you?" And it's like. <laughs> <laughs> It's like I can't walk up and steal the spotlight, right. even if I was in the right. area. But are they like at the DJ, so you walk in and yeah. they're mugging you. Like I think yeah. I've seen these tweets. Right, <laughs> the but, DJ's but, looking at me all cross-eyed, like, yeah. "Oh, it's you. You're the one that they wanted instead." So. I saw some of that during the North Coast voting. People were like trying to trash the other people in the lineup, and you were like, "No, no, 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 no! Like I'm in really good company. Yeah, everybody's right. cool. Yeah, may like, the best person win. Yeah, also may it be me, but also <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah, for sure. I was like, yeah, these guys." are cool but like also i need this like i want to what do you do to get your nerves uh to bring your nerves down when when, before these big shows when you get um mm, i pace i pace back and forth a lot thank you andrea i heard you (laughs) thank you (laughs) um i pace back and forth a lot i try to eat um i've learned that before I would never eat because I would just be so nervous. Yeah. So I eat. But you need energy for all yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So I eat and then I listen to R and B, like nineties R and B music. I listen to music that I know I'm not gonna play during my set. Mm-hmm. So that's like the number one thing that I do. And my friends hate riding with me to my gigs now, and that's fine. What's your go to nineties R and B song that you play? Oh ooh, that's a good question. Uh probably anything by Aaliyah. Yeah. Uh, John B. is also a good one. I got one. nervous. I'm going to say, don't say R. Kelly. Oh, no. Definitely not. <laughs> definitely no. not. We, we do not speak his name. No, yeah. we do not. That's blasphemous. Oh, um, my God. No, Aaliyah. Actually, you know what? Uh, Color Me Bad has been in the playlist. Oh, okay, this is like the Very often time. right now. <laughs> Color Me Bad has come up in conversation just randomly like three times in the last 24 They're hours. Good. <laughs> what is good. the message for me about Color Me Bad? I don't right know. Now? They're good. Do you know any of their songs besides the main one that they have out or no? The main one? You're not going to say it on there? I'm air, not going to say the song. No. The song? <laughs> you can't. I'm just <laughs> not in an agreement because I don't know this group. I don't think I know Are you song. serious? You don't, I don't think. Oh you would recognize. I know their song, but I probably don't know their name. Is that what's going on? If you play, so. if you listen to this, there's a song called "I Want to Sex You Up," and right. if you heard oh, that song, that's "Color Me Bad." Right, but they yeah, have other not. hits. As they do, well. yeah. Yeah, they're, you know, I think there's some. I don't know. At the time, I feel like there was a little bit of, uh, you know how like the way people talk about Nickelback. Oh yeah, yeah. I think there was a little bit of that going on at the time. At the time. Oh, like oh, with okay. "Color Me Bad," a lot of people right. were like, mm. yeah. but you know what? It's a good jam. And then later on, you find out, like, okay, they weren't that bad. It's a a bop. It's a really good song. It goes over very well in my various Here's my association with it, and then we got to go to break. And that is, there was a young man, when that song came out, that was going to be real subtle and hmm. pursue young Amy Guth by dedicating that song to me. You know, on, like, the, the Friday night, like, hotline on the radio. Oh, and it, wow. they play all the... I mean, I was, you know, I I was 
Too young so to have that song dedicated yeah. to you. But Too young to have that. Did he get the date or no? no. Oh, absolutely not. Ouch. I had never even like had a conversation with the guy barely, Ouch. and then he was like, "I was like, that's your move." That was a good that's way to show I mean, a shot, though. That was a great shot. Swing. No, it's the wrong song, though. I mean, yeah, you got to I, I need a little a romance, please. You skip some steps. But he was honest. I appreciate his honesty in shooting his shot. I mean, I'd rather you be honest. Sw- swing than... for the fences, son. Sure. <laughs> but like, <laughs> Amy was just like, "No, I'm not the one." For I was this. like, "This is not no. me." You're gonna need to back it up and come in with a different approach. But... So then, what song do you think would have been appropriate for the dedication at the time? I don't know. Mm. I mean, a nice slow jam. You know, you need a song with talking in it. She um, say she just a friend. That's the one. right. That would have been, been the song. Yeah, something with Barry White talking in the beginning. You got to, right. It's got goes st- out to Amy. That's Griffith. right. A little bit of girl at the beginning. <laughs> right. We've got news on the way. <laughs> WGN Radio. We'll be right back. Talk about color me bad. <laughs> and there it is. You speak it into existence. A little color me bad all for love. And that's the number four, not the word. Because it was the 90s and you spelled things with numbers. <laughs> yes, you did. That's how you paged your loved one. That's right. Domacy, do you know this song? Yes, I do. I do know this song. I did not know the name of this Grammy Award winning group, though, when I heard He wasn't familiar. <laughs> On the break, I was schooling him a little bit about Color oh, Me Bad. Oh, thank you. I'm glad that you did that. That's thank right. You. Amy Goode with Doma T. Pongo here on WGN <laughs> Nightside this evening. Uh, taking a trip down 90s music lane is what we were doing. Um However, we have lots to do on the show tonight. We have lots of yes. things to discuss. And we are joined now by phone by Tiffany Seibert, who is the founder of a program called Cop to Yoga, which is a fascinating program. And it is exactly what it says, what it sounds like, right? It is bringing yoga and meditation and centering to Chicago police. Tiffany, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. Oh, thank you, Amy. Thank you, Demetti. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us. First of all, how did you even think uh, about bringing this this program about? How did this happen? Well, you know, I was I was sitting on my mat one morning, and um, it was right around Thanksgiving 2015 when the violence on the streets was every day on national news, and it just it was like a bell rang, and I said, "Oh my goodness, the police need to do yoga." So I called that day, and. Um, they said, you know, when can you come over? And I said, well, you know, whenever it's convenient for you. And they said, can you come right now? So um, that was in the 24th district, which is in my neighborhood. And that's really the, the beginning of it. And um, they were very, very open to it. And uh, it, the program has changed a lot. And it's evolved into what it is now, which is basically a seven-minute meditation uh, at the roll call. So... That's where we are. You know, it started out on mats and it evolved into just yoga breathwork meditation uh, while the cops are just sitting at the roll call. It's the last thing they do before they get into the car. And and they they really like it. It's It's worked out incredibly well. 
Well, you mentioned that that it was really well received, and I think we think of cops being these like tough, you know, you know, non emotional. Like yoga would not be something that would necessarily be something a cop would be open to. But but it sounds right. like that was not the case. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's not across the board. You know, it's not 100 percent, but it's it's close to 100 percent because it's very straightforward. Um, as far as, you know, yoga, you know, there's no chakra talk. Um, it's it's super bullet point. And um, and uh, and as a result, they get it because it's evidence based. You know, I'm telling them exactly what what's happening, that they're activating a parasympathetic nervous system response. They're activating the endocrine system. And this has this particular neurochemical effect. And so they're on board with that. Walk us a little bit more slowly through that, Kim. You just put a lot of multi-syllable words out there. <laughs> I'm just going to be I, I've got I got my dictionary open, but I couldn't get to all of them quickly <laughs> enough. But uh, <laughs> but 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 it's true. There's science behind the effect right. that these things can have on your stress hormones, especially right. with your adrenaline pumping. What is the science behind this? Exactly. So um, what they're experiencing each day um, is just the unknown and unknowable. So that in itself is stressful. And then you back it up with the actual scene, right? You're going from a bank robbery to a barking dog to maybe a domestic dispute, everything in between. So they are in fight or flight a lot. So kind of almost like a PTSD. Mm. state and um, long deep breathing which is exactly what we start with um, it activates the parasympathetic nervous system which stops the production and flow of the stress hormones that flood the system during fight or flight or sympathetic nervous system so it just brings you back to center so it's like the antidote and um, so that's the first thing, and that's the easiest thing. Um, so that's the first breath work. And then we, we go into a second breath work, which is a deeper calm. So we're just really breathing on the left side, long, deep breathing on the left side. And um, so that takes them deeper. But then what's different, I think, about this than just breathing is that we're focusing a gaze in the middle of the forehead, um, which is a specific energy center in Kundalini Yoga, in yoga in, in particular, that, uh, that activates the endocrine system. And so the, the pressure on the pituitary gland, the pineal gland, this is forcing these glands to secrete and create an overall sense of balance and centering and it ends up really just that's where the neurochemical change happens and so their stress really melts away and they're feeling 100 percent whole again after this so there is a little bit of chakra talk right there <laughs> that was got, chakra talk we got i'm her talking to, say to you chakra. guys now but <laughs> <laughs> yeah how were you able to yeah. condense something this involved into seven minutes? Because, you know, you said it started as 40 minutes. How do you get all of this goodness down to seven minutes and still allow it to be effective? Well, it's effective um, really pretty much after about three minutes. So yeah. that's all it takes. And so when someone says, well, you know, I really can't do this because I'm busy looking at my phone. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> You're inhaling and exhaling anyway. <laughs> right. You have to breathe. Sir. Might as well make yeah. It count. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you just, yeah, if you just say, I'm going to just for the next three or four minutes um, do this, then you're really doing something good for yourself that has a benefit that you feel. 
And what are the results that you're seeing so far? I'm seeing people walking out um, really, really grateful for this, you know, saying thank you a whole lot, you know, which is really, really nice. But they're saying, gosh, I feel so much better. I'm starting my shift on a high note. Um, When we are in really intense situations, it helps us prevent tunnel vision, you know, which is these guys are dealing with a whole lot of stuff. Right. And um, it helps them to prepare for stress and it helps them to recover for stress from stress. So it's kind of good before, during and after. And what um, I've tried to uh, drill into them as far as, you know, folding into this, folding this into their technique so that when they're walking from the car, to the door, when they're walking from the door to the door of their house, when they're walking wherever they are to just take a few deep breaths to keep evenness within their days. Mm. So, so it's not so jagged, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, you know, and I, I see a lot of police all over the place in my neighborhood and I stop them all the time. And so of course they see me and they, they swear that they're breathing, you know? So at least uh, it's, a good, it's a good reminder, but um, but they are, you know, and I've got cards that they've got that have all of the curriculum on it. And um, I think that slowly but surely, because I'm a broken record, I'm just saying breathe, breathe, breathe all the time. And so that starts to sink in. That's how we learn by repetition. We're talking to Tiffany Seibert, the founder of Cop to Yoga, and she teaches police officers how to breathe, collect themselves before they have to go out there and, uh, and do their jobs. And most of us don't have jobs as intense as police officers. But what can, I don't know, talk show hosts do to uh, de-stress <laughs> before shows? And, and what are some steps that we can take uh, that are pretty easy that'll walk us through some of the, the, the things that you talked about so we can get these, get our, get our chakras aligned? Well, I think um, one of the best things that you can do, and it's super simple, is long, deep breathing. So breathing, inhaling and exhaling in and out of your nose. Um, And what you're doing when you're doing that is breathing into the belly, chest, neck, head, all the way up and all the way down. And by the time you get to your second inhale, you realize that your breath has naturally deepened. So you're activating the parasympathetic nervous system naturally. This is, it's not a belief where people are saying, gosh, I don't believe in yoga. You know, I'm not going to do this. This is biology. This is yoga science. This is how we're built. We just were not taught this from, you know, in school when we were four years old, five years old. This is how we're built. And this is why it works. It never doesn't work. So if I'm going to use a double negative there to just um, underscore the fact that it does work, it always works, period. So as someone that's working and you're stressed out, everybody's stressed out, everybody has different stresses. If you just take a couple of minutes to breathe every hour, every couple of hours, when you think about it, long deep breathing into your belly, into the, you know, all the way up, that's the thing that works. We just did it just now. You we were really t- did, saying that we looked talking. at each other and like both took this yeah. giant breath. We did it. <laughs> and it, re- it, it really so does better. work. Yeah. It really, it really does. does. Work. It always works. So the thing is, is just to take I like never doesn't work. Uh, that something never is more work. powerful about the double <laughs> negative. I'm not going right. to lie. That's right. 
You know, and I think, Tiffany, what you're doing is so very important, especially, you know, right now we're seeing headlines like just the other day we saw uh, about a a headline about an officer who had taken her own life. And, you know, we're seeing the impact of these kind of stresses on on people doing this work. And it's so very important to, you know, to be able to for anyone in any field, but especially in in a field that literally is a matter of life and death with with every decision to be able to have that kind of center and that kind of recovery from stress. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I certainly couldn't do it myself. I mean, it's, it's so much stress. But, you know, they, that's the stress on top of just the everyday stress that people have when, you know, you're married, you have children, you're living in the city, you know, with everything going on in our collective world, you know, all the things that we're dealing with. And then to have this on top of it, it is, it's a lot. So, as an occupational hazard, you know, I think that this needs to be part of just their shift. And so it's kind of why I started it. I thought it would be, this would be a really great, <laughs> a great idea um, for them to have it be part of their eight hours on the job. You know, that this is what you need to do to take care of yourself because your job is, it's got such corrosive attributes to it, you, you know, to you as a human being. So this, this helps. Tiffany, you've been in uh, working in a couple of different sectors, though. I mean, the business magnate all over the world, <laughs> liberal mm-hmm. arts. I mean, your background is extensive. How did you even get into yoga for yourself personally in the first place? Um, well, I started doing it when I was 18. My mom got me into it. And um, then, you know, moving to Chicago and Amy can tell you, certainly we've got so many amazing teachers here. And so I started studying um, at Priya Yoga with Janice Edelman. Um, I studied with Paul White. Um, just, you know, shocked a car at Kundalini Yoga in the Loop. Amazing, amazing teachers that are real guides for me. And so, you know, you just want to do yoga all the time. So there was a point where I was doing, you know, taking nine yoga classes a week, and that was a bit um, radical. And so... You were like breathing for a living. Is that what you're telling us? I was kind of breathing for a living. Yeah, I was in a, <laughs> I was in a pose for a living. I was a poser. Um, so, uh, so, uh, but I really thought, gosh, I really want to do this for myself. I wanted to take a teacher training for myself because I liked it so much. And it was so helpful. And Kundalini really spoke to me because it, the true base of Kundalini yoga is that it's just ancient yoga science. So that's why this works. And that's what I found to be um, kind of the most direct route and the most effective in the shortest period of time. You feel the effects from it. So I love that. I'm a pure bar junkie. I mean, I do that for like hardcore exercise. But um, that stuff is no know, joke. I, that is wait really, a what junkie? Yeah. I missed it. What's pure bar? What's pure bar? <laughs> oh, you're going. You're doing it. Uh oh. What what is this? I'm scared. If you put like very heavy duty ballet and aerobics and Pilates together, that's pure bar. And push-ups and boot camp stuff. Yeah. 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 No joke. Okay. Uh, I thought I was going to pass out. The first time I went, they were like, if this is your first time, take it easy. I was like, I'm very fit. Thank you. And then five minutes later, I was like, I'm going to die. You you know, Tiffany, just hold on one second. We're going to go to break so Amy can give me a crash course and uh, push bar. What did push bar? 
what is pure it? Pure bar. Pure bar. Can we do this like in the break? Can you show me some things and then we we post sure. it on, on Twitter or something? Why did I just sign myself up for I this? I was to say this, this is your idea, man. <laughs> <laughs> You've been warned. We're gonna take a little break. Amy with Doma Tifongo here on WGN back in just a bit. <laughs> I see what you did with this song there. Thank you. Steam producer Cash. Thank you. 90s R&B is the theme. That's the theme tonight. It's all about the R&B from the 90s. Amy Guth and Dovati Pongo in on WJ Nightside tonight. We are talking with Tiffany Seibert, who is the creator of Cop to Yoga. You can find out more about that at cop2yoga.com. See, it's a play on words. It is. And she's teaching us. Law enforcement, but also like copping to it. Yes. Taking to it. Yes. See what she did there. I see what you did, Tiffany. How many cops are copping to yoga? How many people do you have involved? Oh, gosh. Okay. So this is. This is so great because we just had a, an, an article in Yoga Chicago magazine about us about a week ago. And ever since then, our districts are almost not only doubled, but beyond doubling. So um, a number of teachers have come forward to say, I want to be on the Cop to Yoga Peace Force. And so I was in the 24th, the 20th, and the 17th. We're adding the 3rd District. We are adding the 18th District. We're adding the 19th District. Wow. Um, and that's just this week. Yeah, oh, the 16th District. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um, yeah, I trained um, someone on Tuesday. Um, another uh, really great yoga teacher shadowed me today. And she'll be teaching in the 18th. Uh, it's it's so exciting for me that there are people coming forward and saying, you know, I really want to do this. <laughs> and it's also great because... Um, one of the commanders from the third district called me, the commander from the third district called and said, I want a yoga teacher and I don't have a yoga teacher yet in the third. And I said, you know what? So I'm your girl and I'm going to do it. So they are scheduled for the 24th and the 20th is going next week. So, wow. um, yeah, it's, it's really, um, it's fun. It's, um, it's exciting for me, honestly, personally, it's just, it pushes me outside my comfort zone every single time I learn something new. I meet new people and, um, it's just, it's really touching. I enjoy it a lot. That's good stuff. Before we let you go, let us know where people can find out more information. So cop yoga.com, as Amy had said, um, we've got a Facebook page, cop to yoga. We are on Twitter at cop to yoga. And so, um, Anything further than that, um, if you go to the website, it's got a lot of information. It's got a lot of information about how the program started, information about um, what we're trying to do, our mission um, to join volunteer yoga teachers with their respective police districts. Yeah. Thanks thanks so much for joining. Thank you so much for joining us, Tiffany. I've got to get a class in sooner or later. Tiffany Seibert with CopToYoga.com. Thank you for joining us. More show coming up in just a moment. Domati Pongo and Amy Guth on WGN Radio. I mean, when we said that there's a musical theme tonight, we nailed it. (laughs) This at midnight is perfect. I mean, this is... (laughs) 
Pretty sweet. Pretty sweet jam here. Amy Guth, Dome and Pongo here on WGN Nightside this evening with you till 1 a.m. Our producer is Cashera, and that's why she's that's the why best DJ and producer on the side of the Mississippi. Yes. Yes. In studio, I'm really excited about this one. We have Adrian Ermer, uh, because last year I had a chance to go to this film festival, the Social Change Film Festival. Actually, the proper name is probably Change Fest. It, yeah, we're, we're, we're branding Change Fest now, because the, the, the original name was the Chicago International Social Change Film Festival. And it's like, say it's that seven lot. times fast, right? Right. Right. So it's, it's social media appropriate. Got it. Got it. It's put on by the nonprofit organization Social Change. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a board member Correct. of Social Change. Yeah. And uh, thank you for joining us in studio. No problem. Thanks for having Welcome me. Welcome to our new home at WGN Radio. This is fancy. Everything is so shiny. Yeah. How do you like the new digs? We got the lights I like it. set I like up it. nice the for view. you. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to reserve a spot here for the fireworks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so tell us about the the festival and mm-hmm. the organization and all that good stuff. So social change is uh, has two major programs. We've got the Change Fest, uh, which is a social change film festival. We were showcasing ton- we've showcased over 175 films since the inception of the film festival. Wow. Which equates to about 50,000 hours I want to say. No, how many 15, years? 15,000 hours worth of film. What's so, that? So I said, how many years is well, this is our 7th year? Wow. Mm-hmm. wow. Um, so our filmmakers come from across the globe, and we cover all sorts of social issues and social justice issues um, globally. So um, this year, for example, we have films that are feature featuring farmers in Indonesia, um, workers in India, and s- school students here in Chicago, and then also um, public education systems, even in New Jersey. So the yeah the the breadth of the films that we showcase are vast. Um, and then the second program of social change is the Liberty Project, and what the what the Liberty Project aims to do is, in short, the way I like to tell the story is disrupt systems of inequity, um, and specifically dealing with incarcerated populations and reentry populations. So how do we treat incarcerated populations with humanity and dignity? I mean, ultimately and ostensibly, the goal of the prison system is uh, rehabilitation. So, you know, how do we actually how do we actualize that goal as mm. opposed to creating a pipeline that that creates recidivism and keeps mm. people in, engaged in the system? And then on the other side is that once they get out, how do we remove barriers so that they can stay out and not end up back in the criminal justice system? So, so where do you start with that? I mean, that's a big project. That's oh, a yeah. big yeah. issue yeah. that a lot of people are thinking about and talking about where, you know, where do you even wade into that water first? Uh, well, on that side, we we engage a lot with stakeholders on the ground. So we've actually been successful in directly passing or assisting the passage of 40 pieces of legislation nationwide. Wow. So, for example, here in Illinois, we've expanded access to video visitation. Mm-hmm. So, as you know, most of our state prisons are very far away from the the core centers of populations that are incarcerated and their families. And it's really hard for working families or retired mothers to get down to the state penitentiary in central and southern Illinois. So they've expanded access. We, we were able to win expanded access to visi- vi- video visitation. Um, you know, in, in other jurisdictions, we've negotiated removing barriers to acquiring licensure once you're out of the system. So, for example, 
uh, in many states across the country, it is incredibly difficult to get a barber's license if you've been formerly incarcerated. I did not know that. And you, you might I'm cut hair the entire time you're inside the system. And then you get out and you're like, I want to continue to cut hair and state the state licensure requirements keep ex ex offenders from getting those kinds of licenses. So those are the kinds of pieces of legislation that we look at. We, you know, we work with on the ground partners and we say, okay, well, what are some of the barriers that you've identified in your jurisdiction? Because we're familiar with Illinois because mm-hmm. we've been, you know, grounded in Illinois for so long. But if we go into, you know, somewhere like Georgia, we work with the partners on the ground to say, Hey, how do we help change legislation to make your job easier and to make the system more just. And as I understand it, some of your members are in D.C. right now. Right. The Congressional Black Caucus <laughs> trying to schmooze to get some of these. They're <laughs> so, working. Right, right. Air quotes. <laughs> really, really hard. <laughs> no, I mean, our, our executive director, Todd Belcour, is the most amazing one-man show Like I think you'll ever see in the nonprofit space. He is a, He's an attorney. He handcrafts the majority of the legislation that we advocate for in, in the with the organization, and I mean, just it, like he travels the globe, you know, lives <laughs> off a of very meager sleep. meager wage. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I'm, but he does it for the love and the and the the desperate need for this kind of work, right, and this kind of change, and and then the film festival sort of it is like a more laid-back, creative outlet for the kind of issues that we're trying to bring attention and advocacy to, and and it's not so tense. Right. Um, Well, one interesting thing about this is that you often don't see that arts component in you know, it, they're usually very separate. You've got your, your lobbyists and you have activists and organizers doing things around legislation and very specific mm-hmm. tasks. And artists are usually over here doing similar work with an end goal, but never, not often together, not often right. merging paths. And I think it's a really interesting validation yes. of the power of art to make change. Right. I mean, art imitates life, right? right. The best and the worst of life. And I mean, it, it is a direct reflection of sort of who we are as a society locally and globally. Um, and sort of our lens is art as a truth telling vehicle. Mm. So when you come to the Social Change Film Festival, be prepared to have all the feels. <laughs> oh my God. You're laughing, you're crying, you're laughing again, you're, you're pensive. Like it's just, it's a really um, awesome awesome ride i mean we've got fashion shows this year um musical performances so it's really grown into this very all-encompassing you know scope of art and life yeah amy took the words right out of my mouth though because it's rare that you find an organization that has this rare mix of execution and also understands the soft skills that go along with the qualitative side of things Mm -hmm. when it comes to art and, and, and what that means how did you guys know that marrying those two things together would be effective as, as it rolls up and funnels up into your mission? Our amazing executive director, Todd Belcour. <laughs> I mean, really, it is his vision. How and much is he paying you to say know. these things? <laughs> um, nothing. I'm actually raising money and donating my own money to do this. <laughs> but um, no, really, I mean, this was yeah. part of his, his vision. I mean, the, the Liberty Project sort of grew out of the initial work of the film festival and and I guess having interacted in these spaces with these amazing storytellers you know he realized that there was a space and a need for an organization in well in Chicago and Illinois to do this kind of work but then if you you know sort of pull back and take an eagle's eye view I mean this is a national issue I mean the the, the prison industrial complex is real 
there's so much work to be done to bring justice to an unjust system, especially for uh, people of color. So, you know, he he found a gap and he is running in that gap and making huge impacts for for the dollar. So our thing is is that you donate to social change, your dollar will go very very far. We are a very lean mean staff. Most of us are volunteer. And we're just we're running off of the passion and the need to do the work and constantly asking for dollars to keep doing the work. <laughs> Cuz Todd would like to would like to be able to stay in in a hotel in most of the places that he goes to. <laughs> he's often on sofas and like with friends and just like because of the the, you know his network and his his amazing spirit he's he's got a lot of supporters who will let him crash on sofas very frequently to be able to do this work so we're talking to adrian ermer uh one of the board members on social change a nonprofit that is committed to this work uh most specifically the liberty project and change fest 2018 Mm -hmm. uh socialchange.site.site is where you can find more information and get tickets uh and it's a fusion of film fashion music and art and you're in the film space as well amy what what are some of the things that when you guys are i guess both of you guys when you guys are sourcing films how do you parse hundreds and hundreds of films? Not easily. And figure out, yeah, what should be part we of We go the through a lot of popcorn. <laughs> right, right. I, I bet. Well, sometimes it's, um, uh, yeah, to program a film fest, sometimes you have to make some hard decisions. And sometimes it has nothing to do with the quality of the film. It's just like, well, we've already got this one mm-hmm. about this topic. We can't have five about this. So which one are we going to go with? Well, mm. we only have 90 minutes for that night we're going to have to go with the shorter one. Right. I mean, sometimes it's really practical things like that. It's not easy to program. Right. And and then you've got the different the different lengths of films. So yeah. You've got the super shorts, the shorts, the half length, the features. I mean, just it's it's a lot and you kind of have to time it so that you get a little good mix of every topic area but then also to incorporate the vis- the right. the paintings and the fashion and all the, and the music it's it's a delicate ba- balancing act we, our curators are great mm-hmm. yeah we just do the film part at my film festival <laughs> <laughs> we haven't gotten to the stage with fashion and music yet we just show up sit down please watch thank god you showed up bye right. <laughs> and, and we've got some great music too coming up in the festival Leon and like Leon it. and the yeah. people Chicago who who you've seen in like the Commodores and the Five Heartbeats That's and cool. so the Temptations right, film. And the Temptations film and um we've got Kim Whitley who's doing a book signing there and you know she's a, a fantastic comedic actress that I pretty much grew up with I guess at this Me point. too. <laughs> oh my god, I get chills. I'm I'm going there Hashtag just to meet sort of my aunt. Yes. <laughs> To meet my aunt in my mind. Like, she's been on the Mayans Brothers uh, right? and Married with Children and Martin and pretty much every sitcom in the mm-hmm. 90s that goes along with the music we've been playing. Yeah. She's acted in it. So if what are the, like, the can't-miss things for this festival? I know none of it. I know none of it. Yeah, seriously. And, and like, actually, it's it's all half price right now. Okay. Oh, so for awesome. the low, low cost of $150, you'll get an all-access pass, including all of the receptions and the VIP stuff. Um, for the weekend of September 28th through the 30th. Um, so that's a steal, honestly, um, because of all of the amazing films that we have coming in. But we have a film, um, about the 33, the, sorry, the 63 boycott where 650,000 public school students walked out here in Chicago because of the segregation Mm -hmm. in our school system. So I'm really excited to see that. I mean, obviously I'm a Chicagoan and a little bit 
partial to Chicago <laughs> sure. history. Absolutely. Um, but no, I mean, there's a, a fantastic film about um, a Muslim and a Catholic farmer in Indonesia and how they come together in an interfaith way to economically build this very small city in Indonesia. I'm just like, whoa. Wow. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're going to get a whole lot. I mean, the, the organize, there's a film about a, a a person I can't he's like a community organizer but he does international community organizing work specifically um, in labor and so he goes into India to organize the rickshaw drivers the the rag pullers I mean just these very sort of fringe labor industries in that particular location that is that desperately needed some attention and and the ability to demand more for their work and 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 their value as contributors to to that society so yeah no it's i mean you'll get a little bit of everything just go to the website i mean yeah yeah. I was a little overwhelmed when your schedule I was okay. <laughs> it's hard to pick, on. it is, but I'm because I'm on the board, I'll be there the whole time, so I'll get to dip in and mm-hmm. and see everything that I wanna see if I'm not, you know, working a table or um schmoozing. And tell us where it takes place. I mean that's gotta be you're gonna we will house a ton of people for We this. will be at the historic Come on. Yes. Come on. Du Sable Museum <laughs> of African American history and culture. Um, and I'm very, very excited about that. Um, my mother is actually the president and CEO of the DuSable Museum uh, here in Chicago. And she's been doing amazing work at the DuSable, including, um, for the first time getting the Smithsonian, Smithsonian affiliate ship for the museum. Mm. So now, you know, we, we're part of a national network of amazing museums and we're bringing Change Fest into the DuSable, which is very fitting. Mm-hmm. I mean, Margaret Burroughs, the founder of the museum, is was a force, but she was also an artiste. Yes, and so I think it's really fitting to have the social change uh, change fest be be there this year, and I'm really excited, and I hope we can continue that partnership. So and I can't overstate it. I went last year, and the diversity of the mm-hmm. types of films, like when you say international film, this truly was an international story. Mm-hmm. And some stories that are like germane to the human experience, like that. There was a film that I saw, I remember it vividly because I almost cried while we were watching it. It was about domestic violence, mm-hmm. but. I believe it was in South America or uh, a Latin Spanish speaking country, but the way different cultures handle different things that happen all over the world informs the way we, you know, it, Mm -hmm. it, it changes your perspective. One half things. What are some of uh, over the past seven years? Long time, uh, fifty thousand hours of films. <laughs> fifteen, 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 <laughs> fifteen thousand. I mean, after yeah. ten thousand, who's counting? Who's right. counting? <laughs> what is the film that has moved you the most? Ooh, and that had you coming back and telling someone like that's tough. Got because- to see this. That's tough because uh, the the filmmakers who end up being a part of the the show or or the festival move you in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it just depends on the the day and what that particular film oh, makes you feel that it specifically resonates with you. But I do remember a film. It was narrated by Anthony Anderson, who's like you 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 know as this very iconic comedic voice mm-hmm. and personality, and it was a super serious movie about the future of our workforce um, as it's evolving alongside technology, which is evolving much faster than our workforce. And so, 
you know, he was he narrated the story about how do how do we prepare um, dislocated workers who are in the steel or in the iron or in the coal industry to mm. do new jobs until they're ready to actually retire. And it's, um, you know, we talked about, it talked about automation and mm-hmm. sort of like what's going to happen when we have these self-driving cars and they're not just here and there, but they're everywhere. Oh, you know, wow. what does that mean for the future of our workforce? What does it mean when we can 3D build the majority of an entire building, right? Like, it was it, w- it was a very eye-opening film. The juxtaposition of this comedic voice with this very serious content. And then, like, the, oh, dang. Um, well, I'm certainly glad I have the degree that I have, because you will never not need government employees. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, my Lord. Because <laughs> like, you still have to have people to administrate. So. Right. Someone's got to shuffle the papers. Right. right. <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, this is amazing stuff. This is amazing stuff. I I don't know, man. I, I, last, the last time I went, I was surprised by the fact that, because this was just Todd at, w- the day that I went, it was just Todd running around like a chicken with his head yeah. cut off. Oh, my goodness. Trying to get, every, uh, get everything It was him away. and Emil. That was like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the very first one. And it was at yeah. the Harold Washington mm-hmm. Col- uh, Cultural Center last year. And all I could think about was, as he opened up, and he talked about uh, trying to stop recidivism and how many black bodies are incarcerated. Mm-hmm. And he talked about this marriage between the arts and activism and how we might see less recidivism if we met more people where they were. Mm-hmm. Like we saw the impact of 13th, the documentary by Ava DuVernay about mm-hmm. the prison industrial complex and uh, Khalif Browder's story. Uh, what do you think we gain from telling these stories through film uh, and how does it move and, and feed into the work on the ground as it comes to executing at a legislative level? Um, I think the best way to sort of get at that answer is that storytelling through art has has a way of hitting people's ears differently than if you're sitting in front of them talking about a white paper or um, talking about a legislative proposal because I think that, that human aspect of uh, and that and hum- that human connection to the stories really helps to impact and, and, and amplify a message or an experience um and so I think art is just very unique in that way to art is unique in that way to be able to uh to be able to to reach people and and, and get emp- and and t- tap into that empathy mm-hmm. of, yeah. of of another human being yeah mm-hmm. kind of letting people have the realization on their own rather than telling right. sometimes right it, it may not have to be your lived experience but mm-hmm. there's something very impactful about watching somebody live through something and tell their own story and see their pain it, yeah it's 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 an incredibly powerful uh, tool to motivate and move people. That mm-hmm. chuckle you heard wasn't because Adrian was laughing at the power of art. It was because we're in our ear, our, our producer <laughs> is yelling at us to take a break. So we're going to take a break. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> I was not yelling. No, it's okay. It's Domity's fault. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, put it all on me. I'm sorry. I was really into it. I, I shed a Let's tear. Say, important conversations important conversation. were being yes. had. Yeah. Yes. But nonetheless. Yes. Nonetheless, we've got to pay some bills, so we'll be right back. It's WGN 720 WGN side. 720 WGN. You know what? Time flies very quickly on the radio, Domity, is the problem. It really does. It really does. We already got to say goodbye. <sighs> we having fun. Thank you, Adrian, for stopping I was. Yes. Tell us one more time where we can get tickets and all of that good stuff. Change 
so I'm sorry, socialchange.site, S-I-T-E. Um, somebody had already purchased the other domain, so we had that one now. They bought .com, .net, .org. But, well, oh, oh, and they're not, not even not using it. And they're not even using it. Oh, I know. It's such a, it's, it's, yeah, it's annoying. You but. know what? And if you follow me or Domity on Twitter, which you should be doing, we're going to tweet out links to the, all the stuff we've been talking Absolutely. about tonight. So you can find all this stuff for yourself. And it will be on WGMRadio.com on the podcast made by esteemed producer Cash. Awesome. Adrian, thank you so much. Always Thanks a pleasure. Thanks for having me. WGN. Amy Guth, Joma T. Pongo, here on the night side. You're trying to send a message to me, Cash, is this what's happening? You're tired of arguing. I'm sorry. You guys are in a fight. If that's how you want to take it, Doma T. <laughs> I just put it because it was a Leo. But if you want to take it that way, this is a good then, yeah, song. We can. I love this song. This is my. This is one of my favorite songs, man. One of my favorite producers is Timbaland. I don't know if you knew that. Timbaland is one of my favorite producers, and Aaliyah is... Uh, she 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 was a treasure, man. It's sad when she passed away. That's right. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Thank also, you again to Adrian, by the way. I know. So many cool things happening at that film festival. For real. I looked at the lineup and I was like, I'm it's intense. real overwhelmed with things. I don't have that many outfits <laughs> to go to all those things. I was going to get a social change t-shirt so I could wear the <laughs> same shirt all, all weekend. Don't be that guy that wears the shirt to that event. That's how you do it. No. I've got on a free shirt right now from like some... TV hit I did a while back. Well, yeah, that's fine. But but like if you wore the WGN radio shirt here, then you're that guy. You can't wear that event's shirt I at that, that event. Guy. That's economical. It's like double branding. See, sometimes I like I have other radio station shirts and I'll just You'll wear them at the other station? Like you'll have Well, like, like I walked in here with a Vocalo shirt on the other day. How dare you? I know. Just cause it can. The gall. I know. Yeah, well, it makes sense. And then you go to Vocalo with the GN shirt on. When they invite me. Right. I, mean, I can't just show up and be like, I'm here for some programming. <laughs> when they invite me. Please, I have been, my night show, the Saturday Night Special, has been preempted for like four months with White Sox. So I was like, I'm not even welcome on my own station. My own station. <laughs> Those Sox do it every time, man. I mean, if you're going to be, be preempted, like it's pretty okay. I mean, I'm good with it being the Sox. If it's going to be the, anybody preempting, it's got to be White Sox. Because I've been at this station long enough now that I've been preempted by Cubs, Sox. I'm actually in the newsroom. I'm happy when I'm preempted by the Sox. Because I just, I just get to like foul stories. Like I get to read. Yeah. I get to catch up on everything happening in the news. Call every like source that I've been right. wanting to call. Do chop some things. audio. Just do all the busy work. And then you have like 50 stories filed away that won't get used because they'll be old by but the next ready. day. But they're ready. And it's just something to pass the time. Make okay. the day go by quickly. So what do you think is the biggest misconception about the job that you do here? Mm. Like when you're explaining to people who are not in this business, what do they get wrong? That is a good question, yo. Uh, the biggest misconception... Is that there is somebody telling you what stories you can and can't do. Mm -hmm. That there is some big force that says you must report this story this way. That's That's completely not true. Like newsrooms have and and anchors and reporters have a lot more autonomy than I think people know. I think what does happen because of 
what's going on with the news industry. A lot of newsrooms are shrinking. Um, we have tons of resources here, but I've been at other stations that didn't have as many resources as I, as I have here. And uh, shortcuts get taken yeah. uh, by, by reporters. And that's not to disparage reporters, but it just so happens that you, you'll run with everybody's running with the same lead. A, because, yes, it may be the biggest story, but when you don't have the time and the resources to dig a little deeper and see what else might be mm-hmm. just as big of a story or what might be a good neighborhood story to tell in an ex community that doesn't have reporters visit every single day. Uh, you know, you, you, so the news can be homogenous, not because there's someone telling us what stories to report. Right. But just sometimes it's easy to hop on the dominant narrative about on the a dominant thing. Na- narrative. About because at the thing. end of the day, like, reporters are still human beings yes. you know and there's oh well this is what this is like things get accepted as truth yes you know a narrative about a neighborhood uh, a, a people a person any you know yes. things get accepted as truth that are not truth i think that i think i mean obviously one m- misconception is um people think that we go into radio for the money and that's not <laughs> it and that's not it no. but i think we um a passion haven't necessarily done a great job in our business of explaining how that project process works like what you're talking about but also like the different roles mm-hmm. of like what is the difference between a reporter and a host or a reporter and a columnist at a newspaper you know like we're all under the banner of journalism yes but like how that breaks in because people will be like well that person has bias in the thing he wrote i was like well he's a columnist he's a columnist he, he's he supposed must. to have a bias if he doesn't have a bias he's not you know, he, he needs a, a take, terrible columnist. Right? He'd be a terrible columnist. Right? <laughs> yeah. just, now, it gets tricky when you're breaking that down for somebody. Cause you're like, well, but a, a columnist can also report, but a, por- but a reporter cannot pontificate. Perfect. A- and in this age of spin, one thing always used to be true. And they, they talked about this. Uh, uh, Scott Stances, I think, was on uh, a yeah. little bit earlier. He's on The Missing Rascals. They talked about this before, that even in columns, there was a time when the facts were presented and you could parse opinion from fact within the story very easily. The fact is this thing happened today. Yeah. Now, here's what I think about this thing right. happening. What's happening now with these pseudo news sites is yeah. that the facts are in question. And then it, it, it informs an opinion and the opinion is based off a horrible premise that is totally inaccurate. And that is very frustrating yeah. for journalists and people online alike and that, that that's yeah. one of my biggest frustrations yeah and and when the public doesn't know the difference between uh the editorial board and the actual reporters and you it, it becomes it becomes confu- i can see how it can become yeah. confusing about oh, who to trust at least once a month i'll see somebody tweet something like oh i'm canceling my subscription to whatever paper because mm. of the editorial board when it's the tribune i'm like okay i've worked in that newsroom i worked there for many years let me explain to you uh-huh the edit the editorial board cannot even see the newsroom like it's a totally different area it's a different wing same floor but different wing of the floor different door i mean it's very intentionally a different group with a very different you know, the edit board doesn't represent the reporters in there. And I was like, don't punish reporters and get reporters laid off because you don't agree with somebody on the edit board, you know, by canceling your subscription. That's what's Absolutely. happening. That's why newsrooms shrink. You know, uh, you guys can jump in on this, too. Uh, Colin, tell us what you think about the state of this news business. Oh, man, we're asking for it. Oh, my 
7200 should i do this text us so we can choose what? that's right <laughs> so we can infer the tone and assume it's more positive yeah and then yeah. we can editorialize it this way but I, i'd say this too i think that we also when we first of all anytime someone says the media it drives me crazy because there's not just there's not like we don't have a, a morning meeting Right, 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 which, right, right. You know, there's not one media because that implies we all share a brain and we just all do the same thing. And in that, we also often overlook the role of social media in a news cycle. Yes. You know, for example, if, you know, I one time shared a story that was, it was during the NATO G8 summit, it was in Chicago. And um, there were details emerging about an arrest and, and it was very important in the headline that said, you know, the following occurred, colon, police say. Hmm. And the police say part is really important because I was not there. This is a statement issued by the Chicago police. But when you lead with what the statement is and then the comma police say and you're reporting as a reader, the inference is what the police said. Right. Was accurate. Was accurate. Right. There is. There was a, at my old gig at WVON, we were aware of this, especially with the Laquan McDonald case when it first broke several years ago. We were aware of this disconnect between and, and we started to see that, you know, different stories get buried and different mm-hmm. accounts get buried about and uh, people making complaints against police officers started to go to go underreported. We had this meeting with the Sun-Times that came to WVON. It was Mick Dumkey. Mm-hmm. Uh Back when he's in L.A. now, who used to run the Sun Times? The name is escaping me right now. Uh, Frank Maine is a crime reporter. Yeah. And um, the former head of the Sun Times. I'm so mad I'm blanking on this. And Mary Mitchell was a columnist. But at any rate, they talked about they talked to the, the public and the community about how they failed the public in their reporting of police cases and how they took what police say for truth. And they said we always attributed it to police, but we didn't push back often enough on what it was that the police were saying and and that has been corrected in the news industry uh to our credit about going back and saying police say xyz but according to the police doing that extra step of going to the police report finding out what what really gets said we're going to tweet it out too by the way it's uh my Twitter is Domiti, D-O-M-E-T-I underscore, so you can see what this story was like. Uh, but you guys definitely check it out. And you can follow Amy Guth at Amy Guth, A-M-Y-G-U-T-H. But these are the things that make it very difficult very to do the job. They make it, yeah. make it frustrating. What, what uh, aside from, from, the pay, from the pay gap, right. what, what have been some of the biggest misconceptions about what it is that you do? I, I think that part. I mean, I think especially now in, in, with social media playing a role in the news cycle, when things get omitted from a tweet, like when you're quoting uh, like a police statement or a political office's statement, and it's like the following says the White House, the following police mm. say, things like that. And then someone, then the next person tweets it and they clip that part off. Ah. And so it looks like I'm saying this thing or, or I'm saying, you know, whereas it's a sentence from a from a statement issued by the White House. Things like that get so frustrating to me because we have to recognize the complicity of and of and the role of social media in the news cycle. I think that's so important. But I would say beyond that, um, I, I think. It's very difficult to explain to people some of the like what all goes into a story and 
not just the facts of it and the reporting. I think it's it's hard to understand to explain a long like a long tail reporting. Like I worked on this for months, and these are the people I talked to. Like you'll talk yes. to so many people on background that you you may never quote them. So you don't you don't interview somebody just to get a quote. You interview them to understand to understand what's happening. So I think that part, but then also um, the amount of disclosure involved, mm-hmm. like things you have to tell your editor of when to recuse yourself from a story, things like that. Yes. Of the the potential for um, like a conflict of interest. I think I wish people knew that stuff. And how many, how many, uh, how much work goes into making sure that we maintain our credibility by right. exposing, yeah. hey, by the way, I've worked with this person before. I might not right. be the one for right. for this story. Like, here's a great example. <clears throat> Jim Again, Kirk, by the way, is the name of the Sunset Jim Publisher. Kirk, there you go. There yeah. you go. Uh-huh. Um, when um, this was also at the Tribune, so I had a family member. I've talked about this on this on this station many times. But I had a family member killed by a drunk driver when she was 24 years old, and it was just you know instantaneous. And mm. and there came a moment in which very straightforward thing needed to go up on the Tribune website. Um, just saying, you know, there had been a a one or a wrong way driver, someone driving r- the wrong way on Lakeshore that hit somebody, and there were fatalities being reported, and the police believed that alcohol was involved in the crash. It was um, like I was the obvious person there right then to put that like more details coming soon because mm. it was going to be impacting rush hour things like that. It was late at night, so. I was the obvious person to put that up on the website, but I didn't. I put it to somebody else because it, there may be the impression yes. that I wouldn't have done so fairly. Like I would have put some, like cast some aspersion on the driver who has not been convicted of anything at this point, right? Um, because I have had this experience in my family, that I would right. have this bias against this person. So even though it was kind of like a pain in the butt to go get somebody else at that hour when newsrooms tend to be less staffed, like mm-hmm. my editor and I had a conversation and, and decide like, I'm not going to be the one to touch that story. Someone right. else will. And I think m- letting people know how many conversations like that oh happen, my God. you know, like even there was an obituary that one time I needed to write because it was definitely on my beat and I was the only one covering that beat. But I knew that person pretty well mm. and I I really didn't feel like it was fair of me to do it. And obituary is different because often we turn to family members to do it. And, mm-hmm. and certainly family members have a bias. But I really just felt like I'm not the one to do it because I can't be objective. I might paint this person more flatteringly it, in it'd death. It'd be too flowery. Yeah, because because I would because I you know was a personal friend. So I think things like that, like we drive ourselves crazy thinking about that kind of stuff. I don't think you were wrong if, if you written that story, though. I think obits are different. I think obits are a little different. Yeah. yeah and I've thought about that. Um, but you know what? The person that wrote it did a beautiful job. That's so, so it was fine. And actually like wrote it better than I would have. <laughs> <laughs> and I can admit that. I can totally admit that. So Such Amy Goof, Domati Pongo you know. here on WGN Nightside. Back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. WG at Nightside, Amy Goop, Doma T. Pongo, right here. Just 10 minutes left in the show. We're having a fun show, a great conversation. We talked to Adrian Ermer from Social Change. Talked to Tiffany Seibert from Cop 
to yoga and we talked to DJ Cash about <laughs> her inspirations behind her DJ career and apparently 90s R&B music is one of the things that calms <laughs> her spirit and that's why we've been playing 90s music all day what was that we were just listening to by the way uh, that was Timex Social Club Rumors Yes, it that's was. actually an 80s song I believe yeah it was yes mm. I was going to say we're stepping out of the 90s we are but it fit what you guys were talking about so that's why I it went did. with that you're it was very perfect. good at matching subject and song thank you I like a human Chicago authors they uh, they helped me with that with listening really? to poems then playing a song to follow it so I've learned to really match match a mood based off of them shout out to them that's really dope nice. that's really dope hey and we, we got a caller yeah let's do this people are actually awake at this hour hi Joe you're on WGN thanks, thanks kiddos hey listen my degree is in journalism way back when from the good old Penn State University yeah yeah so I know of which I'm talking I just want to congratulate you guys on addressing a very current and very uh, complex, yet very, very important issue, the mass media, if you will. I don't care about print. One of my favorite guys is John Cass, so I'll support the Chicago Trib most of the times, <laughs> probably about 65 or 70%. Yeah. But the deal is uh, the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, what am I talking about, uh, anonymous, and they put so much emphasis on giving uh, you know just the world of credit to the anonymous person, yeah. and I'll quote Trump, anonymous or something like that. Okay, right. it's credibility, which I don't think the Washington Post, the Mr. George Soros, you know, his company, if you will. So I think the people, the public, has a real you know challenge nowadays, which you guys have addressed. What's the source? What's the credibility? And all that good stuff. So it's it's challenging times we live in, and you've uh, I think you've covered a lot of the bases regarding it's our own prerogative, the individual, check the source, check the credibility, and weigh that against what's being said. Just like you know your your example currently, the police was it the chief of police? Was it a sergeant on duty? Was it a patrolman? Whatever. The press is supposed to dig mm -hmm. and be more detailed in the source for information. We're in an age right now where the market demands spontaneity, too mm -hmm. much spontaneity. There's no time, you know, they think, okay, to go and check, you know, all the, all the sources, all the credibility. So that's a, an ongoing problem. Thank so you. I commend you for addressing it. Thanks Thank you so much, so for, much for raising that. And, jo Joe, you bring up a good point. So he brings up a good point about uh, that New York... Uh, Times article. I yeah. was listening to an interview uh, with the New York Times and Bob Woodward, who just wrote the book Fear. Yeah. Actually, got my copy here. I haven't even cracked it open yet. But Bob Woodward, you know, he was asked by the New York Times reporter, you know, they were interviewing about the book, and he said, "Well, what did you think about us using anonymous sources um, and running this op-ed uh, anonymously and, and our reliance on anonymous sources?" He said, "Well, I like to use the word deep background mm -hmm. rather than anonymous source because." The source isn't anonymous to me to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as the writer. You know, yeah. I know exactly I know who the source exactly. is. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, later on and and he has the credibility, of course, from Watergate. Uh, and he, he said the source. I know who that source is. But the problem is you want to be a little bit more specific. What department does this person mm -hmm. work? If you're talking about a senior official, what makes a person senior? Right. How right. long he's been with what office you have to give a little bit more. Then he talked about how in his book, which does rely on deep background or anonymous source is somewhat synonymous. He, he gives 
uh, pictures and specific dates and times and accounts of things that have happened. And I think that adds to the credibility because there there are times when you have to rely on anonymous sources, because if if I have to do an expose on the life of Amy Guth and I'm friends mm-hmm. with Amy Guth. I don't want her to know that I'm telling you all this information. <laughs> so you're not going to get what you need from people. If I hate you don't. to tell you that would be a very boring exercise. <laughs> not Expo- much there. The truth behind yoga. <laughs> right. <laughs> She wears yoga pants. It's true. It's true. That's the end of the expose. Right, right. She wears T-shirts of rival stations <laughs> to work. <laughs> but, you know, and so, so I mean, I, Joe, you know, kudos to you. Uh, yeah. You just He brings up a good point about how sticky it can be. And even when you have journalists like Bob, what we're looking at at the, the New York Times, a highly credible sta- uh, yeah. outlet. And I, I personally liked seeing those perspectives, seeing those op-eds because they didn't differ much from what Wood was talking about in the book. So it seems to be credible to me, but I do see how that can confuse the public. Absolutely. And, and I think anytime, uh, you know, anonymous is, you know, you know the word thrown it like it's you're at, you're asking your readership to trust you. Yeah. Like, believe me, I have a reason for not telling you who wrote like that's, that's really problematic because that's the whole thing is you, you you only have your reputation in this business. That's why I cannot stand to see journalists tear each other down, yes. especially in public forums. Yes. Like all you have is your reputation and it only takes a second to cast the seed of doubt on another journalist and it can take them a lifetime to undo it and to, to shake that. So I think that kind of thing, like I cannot stand when they're like a little friendly banter, fine, but like actual trash talking, I don't like it. Yeah, I'm not here for it. It's, it, there has to be more cohesion uh, in this industry, and you and you're starting to see it. Uh, but unfortunately, it, what I'll, I'll just put it out to you like this: What did you think about all of these newspapers coming together to uh, denounce Trump's denouncement of news media? And they <laughs> pretty much wrote this this op-ed. Uh, Two hundred yeah. or so newspapers wrote that op-ed right. and said, you know, that we stand together, you know, protecting First Amendment rights, protecting the news industry. Well, I would hate to be on that email thread because it was probably six hundred people. Right. <laughs> no, we should use this word. No, we should say that. We right. Say- I mean. Us organizing, like, uh, you know, the holiday party here is a whole <laughs> lot of email. Like, I can't imagine all of that, that it was involved in making that op-ed. Um, you know, I, I think it's interesting, right? Because I have felt a difference, and I don't know if you have, Dobity, but I have felt a difference in, because what happens when that narrative emerges about fake news media, like, people grab that. Mm-hmm. And, and a confirmation bias happens on all sides of the political spectrum yes. in which you can be saying literally the opposite of the dominant narrative. I, this has happened to me in which like a lot of people are saying X about the White House said this, but a lot of people are kind of there's chatter online, whatever. I'm saying the opposite or I'm saying, have we considered this point and been on the air saying that? And yet someone has called or texted to say, see, you're doing that thing, saying that dominant. I've said I'm literally saying the opposite, the opposite thing. thing. So this confirmation bias happens that's really dangerous. And that's another reason why I really push back when people say the media. And when I see people tweet that and say the media is saying this about Trump, the media is saying this about anything right. serena williams about this like but I'm, breitbart is also the media exactly what i always say i'm like breitbart's also in that game social media users are also in that game yes. if you feel like there's an issue or an, an inaccuracy what i want people to do instead is say you know so-and-so's column in whatever outlet called it this i wish that you know call out a specific call out thing sp- yeah 
and not, and not even a paper because look, I you and I both said in newsrooms in which like the sports department doesn't know what the books department is doing. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. Like, even though they might sit 20 feet apart, like they're they got silos. nothing to say to each other. They're they're doing their own thing. So it's like if saying this outlet says, well, no, that one guy writing that one column said that. Yeah. Hold that to him. You know, where I think it gets real interesting, it's when, when it's against reporters, because I think there is a great accountability that can happen. Um, you know, we saw this in, we see this in a lot of Middle East reporting. There's a lot of think tanks to like, what is the verb you are using when you're talking about one country versus the other, when you're talking about like Israel and Palestine. Mm. And sometimes a bias can be shown by saying like pushed back, defended, assaulted, you know, yes, things like that. Yes, yes, we yes. see that in the way we talk about, um, crime. We see that in the way we talk about protests when different people and different groups of people are protesting different things in the city sometimes we've used different language to describe its peacefulness yeah. and so we need to be really consistent about that and we could rant for another several hours but we gotta go <laughs> is the do. thing about that what one o'clock oh it flew domity i hope we get to do this again yes this is this is a ton of fun listen uh had a lot of fun amy guth follow her on twitter follow me on twitter and you can see the links from all of the guests we've had had a ton of fun thank you so much to cash appreciate anytime. you anytime thank yes. you this is great it was i like how you're my night i like how you're waving yes. waving to the people at home yes, <laughs> waving yes. for radio it's thank like you. radio air quotes <laughs> right right <laughs>